Welcome to Dome Dog Podcast. I'm your host, Matt DeBritz, and today I actually have a guest. And this guest was a sharpshooter at Syracuse for three seasons. He still holds a single-season three-point percentage record at Syracuse at 47.4%. He's second on the list in career three-point percentage at 43.3%, just a few percentage points behind Greg Monroe. He is Matt Rowe. Matt Rowe, what's going on? Matt, thanks for having me. Um, you know, we're, we're FM grads, and I went to school with your brother, James, who's a friend of mine, and I'm uh, honored uh, for you to have me on your podcast. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. So we'll start there. You know, we went to the same high school, you know, pretty much a legend at Faithful Manlius, which is a suburb of, of Syracuse. We were talking about before, only four guys in FM's history have gone D1. You're the most decorated player. When did you know at, at FM that you were at a different level or elite? Well, it's a great story. I, um, you know, times are different recruiting now. Um, back then, um, you would go to camps, and uh, I, w- I went to a five-star camp run by uh, Howard Garfinkel uh, at Holmesdale, PA, and then in Pittsburgh. But, you know, we also had the Empire State Games. And today, it's all run by AAU. You know, my son's a junior at FM, and there's not any college coaches coming to any high school games here at AA. And in our league, as you know, uh, in the last five years, two teams have won the state championship of our schools in New York from our league, Liverpool High School uh, and West Tennessee High School. So it's, it's a pretty good league. Um, and we also have one of the top players in the country now who played at Baldwinsville, J.J. Starling, who's out at La Lemire. So a lot of good talent in this league, a lot of Division One players. Um, but the funny thing I can tell you, uh, it's, it's a great recruiting story, and I and I tell it, people completely laugh. But my head coach, great guy named Walt Munsey. He was more uh, into lacrosse. He ran an All-American camp. Uh, he, was so, he was my social studies teacher. Um, I don't know if you had him at all, at all as a social studies teacher, but uh, he's a good guy, real mellow guy. So um, I uh, went that summer. Uh, the only offer I had um, in in at all Division One was with St. Bonaventure University. And uh, at the time, Coach O'Brien was the coach there. And I went to uh, Five Star. Uh, I got the offer through Empire State Games, and I went to Five Star, and I went to three weeks. And my father paid uh, half the money because I was a waiter, and he wanted me to go to Honesdale um, and to pit, pit two and pit three. And here's how life is, how strange it is, but I, he dropped me off at camp early. And um, I just went out the courts, and I started shooting around. Uh, just you know, playing two on two, shooting around, and this guy drove up to me in a in a golf cart, and it was Howard Garfinkel. He said, "Son, what's your name?" And I said, "It's Matt Rowe." He goes, "Oh, I remember talking to your dad. You're a waiter this week." He goes, "You're a heck of a shooter." I said, "Well, I thank you." And I wasn't playing against any team. I was just shooting on my own. He probably saw me hit ten in a row. And what I didn't know about Five Star then was he had a partner named Tom Kachowski who just passed away last year, and um, they would rate kids. Uh, so if they have, let's just say, 12 kids, they would rate the top 12 point guards they thought they had through the recruiting service, the top 12 shooting guards, the top 12 small forwards, top, top power forwards, top 12 centers, they thought. And in the NBA league, which was a top league at the time, the previous year in the NCAA, I made the All-Stars, but they don't really keep records of that. And so I was slotted as a rising senior to be in the first and third quarters, which is not a lot of Division One coaches are watching those games. It's more of um Division two, Division three, maybe Ivy League, I don't know. So he told me at that point, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put you in as a top 12 shooting guard. So the really the tryouts there were kind of a formality, and I got um, 
a guy named Jan Van Brennikoff was my coach week, and we were loaded. Uh, my team and all three of us ended up making the All-Stars were Kenny Atkinson, who was the former coach of the Nets uh, before Steve Nash, and I almost went to Richmond with him. He, he's a kid from Long Island, and he played for Dick Tarrant at, at uh, Richmond, and they both recruited both of us. And the other guy I played with was Marty Conlon. Uh, Marty Conlon had a 10, 12-year, you know, I tried out with him with the Seattle Supersonics, a great NBA career, played at Providence. So the three of us were on the same team, and we all made the All-Stars. Well, that week, Rick Patino came to speak at camp. And as he's doing the camp, it's part of the whole, you know, all kids in the NBA, NIT, NCAA, you know, every kid that's a five-star, probably about 500, 400, 500 kids. And uh, he asked in the middle of his lecture, he asked Garf, he said, hey, give me your best shooter in the camp. And he said, it's Matt Rowe, come on up here. So I did the, I did the, um, uh, the his coaching clinic with Rick Patino doing his drills and what he puts his kids through as the best shooter in camp. Um, I had a real good week there. Patino was I at Providence home. then, right? Patino yeah, was... He, well, he was, he was getting a job at Providence, correct. Yeah. So I, I came home, Matt, and instead of um, having just an offer from St. Bonaventure, you know, my parents were like, what the heck went on? My mailbox back then, there was no text and emails. It was all by <laughs> mail, and they'd send you their, you know, uh, you know their, their yearbook and information on school, and my, my mailbox was completely loaded. And um, from that, um, we go from there to home visits back then. And I had probably, we whittled it down to probably about 25 schools. And the greatest story is, uh, the end of it is, um, one of the first schools that came in uh, was Fairfield University. And, uh, you know, life's really weird with connections, but I ended up, when I was done playing in Europe for about uh, seven years, I actually coached as an assistant coach uh, with Tim O'Toole our head coach at Fairfield. So kind of life came full circle, but Mitch Bonagura was the coach of Fairfield. And they were one of the first few schools in. So after the home visit, it was the only one that Walt Munsey came to. It came to the first one just to kind of feel the system out. And I'll tell you the last one he came to, but he ended up going to What's Your Beef after my home visit and started drinking with Mitch Bonagura. <laughs> and the next day in class, I get a call probably like third, fourth period down to his office. He says, listen, I don't know why you're having these other visits. Fairfield's the right place for you. Uh, the coach loves you. You're going to play. That's your level is the MAC level. You know, you should you should go to, you know, Fairfield. And I said, Coach, you know, all due respect, you know, I had a really good summer. Uh, I got other schools that are going to offer. And, um, you know, they're all coming in behind it. So fast forward, again, I had, like, schools like Virginia Tech with Frankie Allen come in and tell me he's losing a shooting guard and he's a shooter. I never even heard of the guy. I said, well, who's your shooter? He said, Del Curry. Uh, <laughs> you know, they offered me. I got offered by Boston College because – Coach O'Brien left St. Bonnie's to go to Boston College. Rick Pitino was going to offer me, but knew, you know, Syracuse was the last school in. So fast forward to Syracuse. Uh, they're my last visit and at, uh, at home visit. And um, at this meeting is Bill Farrell, who's passed away, who was my Latin teacher, who was my freshman coach. Uh, Walt Munsey came in for the second time, both my parents and Bernie Fine and, and Jim Behan. And so in the middle of it, you know, they're going over their sales spiel and, you know, Matt wants to be a communication major. As you know, Newhouse, one of the best schools in the country. Uh, you know, and, and Behan was very honest. He said, listen, um, I had Pearl Washington uh, commit here um, a few you know, years ago. He was the number one player in the country out of Boys and Girls High School, and I never promised him a starting position. We just signed one of the best recruiting classes in the country, 
Derek Coleman's a number three ranked player. Stevie Thompson's a McDonald's All-American. Will Duncan's on the board would be a McDonald's All-American. T2's, Carteret, New Jersey's a top 50 player. Sick to That's going to be our fifth scholarship. Uh, but he said, I, I've not promised any of those kids any starting position. And I'm not going to do that to Matt. What I think Matt is going to be one of those kids is he's 65. He's, he's gotten a lot better over the last couple of years. He'll be a gym rat. And I don't, you know, I don't think he plays a lot his freshman year, which was true. You know, I have, you know, I had Greg Monroe there, and Stevie Thompson's a shooting guard. And uh, at the time, even on his roster, it was Michael Brown, who was McDonald's All-American. So uh, he says, but I see him contributing his sophomore year and probably starting his junior and senior year. And so he says, is there any questions? And I'll never forget this. This is verbatim. And Walt Munsey raises his hand, and he says, yeah, Coach, I got a question for you. Um, I'm just sitting here listening uh, to everything you said that's flattering about Matt, and I'm just trying to do what's right for my player, but I don't really think he's a Big East-level player. And um, I'm just sitting here thinking about how many basketballs I have to have on the court next year for, the, for this upcoming season for the FM Hornets because his ego and his head is getting so big listening to this. I just don't think it's his level. <laughs> and oh it was completely quiet in the room. And I could see my dad, like, raising out of his seat, like, just ready to, you know, go off. But mm -hmm. uh, Beheim kind of stopped and just said, listen, I, Coach, I don't all due respect, I don't think you've seen him play this summer. Uh, he's one of the top players in the country. Uh, he made, you know, three all-star teams at five-star. each three weeks, which is very tough to do. And that's why everybody's, you know, trying to come into your living room and offer him a scholarship. So it's very weird. I didn't really realize it to your question. I don't think Walt Munsey did. Uh, but, you know, it's just it's a different time back then. Today, yeah. everything's done on social media, Instagram. Yeah. Everybody's got a video. Back then, right. it wasn't that. And a lot of coaches didn't look at videos. So you had to be really good uh, during either the Empire State Games or going to those five-star camps because, again, there was no AAU back then. So sorry for the long answer, but no, it's great. a couple of circle with you. But it's great stuff. Uh, it, was, it was an interesting process with the recruiting. Uh, with Coach Munsey, and then, and then I committed, uh, you know, the next day with Syracuse. I called the other coaches, and I called Coach Bam and committed the next day. That's awesome. I mean, a few things there. I went to five-star as well, so I know what you're talking about, and I know, like, I scored two points a game pretty much there. So for you to be on the All-Star game, <laughs> it's just, I mean, the level yeah. of players there, if, if you're an elite player, you're, you're getting to play against the most elite guys. When I was there, Stephon Marbury was there. And, and Vince Carter was there, and that was the All-Star game, man. And they were throwing alley-oops to each other, and I was just like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and for you to get there early and just kind of by chance, and, you know, Garfield's a legend, you know, you'd be come in and just just talk to people, you know. And if you got picked up in, in one of those demos, I mean, anyone that's been there have known that you, if you're picked in a demo, then you are, you know, one of the people they think is going somewhere. And obviously that was true for you. And that, that story about Munzee and... <laughs> And saying that you're not a Division One player, I, I mean, I kind of, I kind of just picture Jim Beheim just sitting there looking at a high school coach, saying like, "Are you serious, man? Is was that kind of how it was? Was he just looking at him like, but I just said he's good enough like to be on my team? Like, what do you?" I think Walt was, you know, I think Walt knew I was a Division One player because Fairfield who offered me wanted me to go was Division One but mid major, so was St. Bonaventure mid major. Mm -hmm. He was never at the business with a major. You know, big time programs came in back then. You know, Virginia Tech is a major. Syracuse is a major. Boston College is a major. Uh, Richmond, yeah, semi. But he always thought I was below that major level. They go to a place like a not to, to talk about Colgate or Syracuse here, but I think Walt was more comfortable going to a good academic institution. I was a good student that you know you maybe you go to a Bonnie's or a, a Colgate or a Fairfield 
or Fordham, you know, places like that, mm-hmm. said, hey, why are you going to a top 10 school at the time? You know, Syracuse is top 10, and they had the, you know, they had the top recruiting class in the country. The yeah. one that beat it Loaded. after that was uh, UNC with Montrose's class, and then everybody knows about the Fab Five in Michigan, which trumped everybody's recruiting class of all time. You know, they had five freshmen that started on it, brought them to the Final Four. Right. So just for everyone's uh, reference, What's Your Beef is a famous uh, – <laughs> local hangout in in manlius is it still there matt it is it's called scenic root it's been through about ah. seven names uh, that's it's right next that's to not that's not cool that's not cool man you know, i mean my, well, I, you know one of my best friends Darren Fink's brother kevin used to work there as a cook what should be it was kind of a big yeah. hangout spot, yeah i know right? <laughs> our my, yeah. for you know steak dinner and a couple pops i don't know if i ever actually went, i might have won in like once or twice but not much but you know it, the legend was i don't know if you ever played baseball on that backfield there you ever play baseball back there if you could hit what's we'll your beef, if you could hit what's your beef, you were a legend, right? If you could hit into that right. thing, and once, right. once I, you know, I, I didn't have much of a baseball career either, but I, I played it like when you're a ninth grader and you're the oldest kid, and I smacked one out there one time, and the kid was playing me on like the hill, and he caught it, and I was just like, dude. So there was <laughs> that 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 whole thing. I, I can picture that scene like two cock. Did, did you hit the Did you hit the building? Did you put it in the weeds? No, I put it into the weeds, but the guy was standing there and he caught it. Oh yeah, he was, yeah. That's that's he, a that's a poke. That's he was, a long. He was playing. That was the best hit of my life, and it was an yeah. out. <laughs> but he he was standing on the hill, you know, like almost on the hill. It was uh, incredible. I'm like, what are you doing out there? <laughs> Why? <laughs> I'm right. like, never. I couldn't do that a million times if I tried. But you know, I could just picture two, you know, cut, you know, basketball heads just, ah, you know, let's go down to, you know, to what's your beef, and they're talking about your yeah. future. And meanwhile, you know, just you showing up early to camp, and um, you said you went to three sessions, and that's that's really. Sure. Yeah, and when you said you were a waiter, when you say you're a waiter, what do you mean by that? You work in the camp as a waiter? Oh, you, you're a waiter for the camp where you know when you go into the, the dining hall, oh. the, the campers would bring you your food out. Oh, okay, so you that's were, what we did. So you were we working off the camp. We would eat after you guys. So when we go into that, you know, where they're serving us grilled cheeses and all that stuff, we were the guys that would bring your trays to your table with all the lemonade on it. Everyone would fight over them. They called bug juice. Remember back then? But we were the guys who brought all the silverware the what you drank and sometimes food whatever it was to your table and we'd bust the tables after you guys were done we'd clean them up clean everything cleaned up and then the cooks would give us our food we get extra like i there's so many funny stories in those bunks like you know you talked about uh you got to see like you know vince carter stefan marbury like in my bunks you know some famous names delano de shields <laughs> major league baseball second base for the expos awesome. he used to steal my um I'd come in from games and my parents would pack me because they knew there was no food that I started to start, right? And I'd get packed, um, you know, like Kool-Aid mix. you just get water and, you know, stir it up in sugar. And he'd, I'd come in from the game and he'd already be there. like, what are you doing? He's like, I thought I'd make you some Kool-Aid. He's already drank half of it. <laughs> uh, I had like J.R. Reed uh, oh was my in God. my bunk, Ken, King Rice, uh, Allah Abdul Nabi that went to Duke. I mean, yeah. usually the waiters were like, you know, all Americans. I wasn't, but my dad said, hey, give me a deal. I'm saying camps back then it was probably expensive it was probably you know 150 oh, yeah. to go to that camp that's a lot of money back in the you know um you know mid 80s early 80s so you so you were able to be a camper and you had to work is that what it was Correct. okay i mean it's, it's garth's way of i think it was garth's way of helping out probably a lot of kids who maybe couldn't afford the camp and they wanted to get them there um you know that were uh you know all americans and hey come you know come work the camp and you don't have to pay half price right or you know whatever it may be, but it was a win-win. We got to eat more food. We got paid to do it. You know? That's awesome. Uh, so, you know, you talked about that team 
You know, that when you first got there, I mean, Sherman Douglas, Ronnie Cycli, Derek Coleman, Syracuse legends, you know, I mean, and you're playing against these guys in practice. What was that like when you first got there? Like, what was your aha moment when you walked into Manly or walked in the Dome and you're just looking at these guys like, oh my gosh. I mean, did Five Star prepare you? Like, did Five Star prepare you for that, for those moments? No, high school did, no. no. It, was a, it, was, it, was, it was boys versus men. You know, it was like the, the varsity playing modified. Um, I, I remember my dad would take me to Manly and I met a lot of the guys and I'd play pickup there. So I kind of was used to it. Uh, but I remember Pearl Washington's first practice at the Dome. He's first lamp he ever took. He threw the ball the reverse way through the basket. Instead of going uh, above the basket, he just took the ball and threw it up underneath. I'm like, look at my dad going, that's Pearl Washington. He was the worst practice player I ever saw. Lazy, didn't want to play. Those lights went on. It was a different world. Mm. Um, he was unbelievable. But Pearl had gone pro uh, to the Nets. He, what we, a lot of people didn't do it back then. So he, he went hardship after his junior year. Uh, but those guys... You know, it was tough. It was but confidence. Um, you know, I try to tell my daughter who's a freshman at Niagara, you know, it's 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 all about just surviving and getting better every day. You know, a lot of coaches aren't gonna play freshmen. Uh, it's a difference of three, four years of physicality, especially with COVID now, these super senior years, you know, some 17, 18 year olds can be playing against 24, 25 year olds mm-hmm. if they've sat out and had medical red shirts and they get that extra year. Um, but it was a different ball game. The athleticism, the speed of the game was completely different to me. Um, I had to guard Stevie Thompson every day in practice. Um, <laughs> what was you know, that like? He, people don't realize he's an unbelievable shooter in practice. He just didn't have the confidence to do it in a game. He was, he was like Michael Jordan to me. Couldn't stop him. And he's left-handed, which mm. is a big advantage to get used to. You know, you got to try to jump on his left hand, but he was, you know, pretty quick going right. Um, but I had good mentors. You know, I, I'd play a lot of uh, practice before practice, uh, two-on-two, three-on-threes. I, lot, I learned a lot of nuances on how to get my shot off. And I, I, I was a sponge with Greg Monroe. Greg Monroe was, you know, from Pittsburgh, Menden, in Rochester. Uh, he was our senior captain. He loved, uh, he wasn't the best athlete at all. And he was only 6'1", 6'2". Uh, but he could really shoot it. And he could he really knew angles. And he really knew how to um, just get his shot off and how to play. And playing with him in practice, we it was kind of like, um, you know, the boys club. We would go, we would meet three or four of us, even walk-ons, and we would play two on two, three on three every day before practice. It was kind of like our meeting, yeah. um, you know, a club meeting. And it was great. I learned a lot through him uh, that freshman year. And then um, the guy, Matt, who put me over probably the most mentally at Syracuse after my freshman year, you know, you sit there and say, you know, are they right? Am I never going to play here? You know, we go all the way to the national championship game and it was fun uh, to play in front of 50, 60,000. And we were, you know, God forbid, you know, four seconds away or three seconds away from Moraine. We all knew it. We, I was planning on giving it to my dad. Uh, but we lose and, you know, you kind of sit there and question, well, this was fun, but, you know, I don't want to be a cheerleader for four years. Mm-hmm. So that summer, uh, again, by fate, I connected with a guy named Leo Robbins. Uh, Leo, um, as we know, was from Toronto, Canada, and, uh, played in Minnesota, transferred to Syracuse. And at the time, he was, he, was, he was already past being drafted by the Sixers, and he was playing in Italy. Uh, so he was home for the summers. And um, I met him playing pickup ball at Manly probably my freshman year, and he came back that soft, going into my sophomore year that summer, and he basically pulled me aside and said, listen, I, I, you, I'm watching you playing pickup, and you're a lot better than, than you're showing. It's really confident. So he said, I need a workout partner. And um, I said, okay, you know, I wasn't really 
crazy about it because he's a really good player, but it was, you know, I watched him as a young kid. You know, I'll never forget, we used to go to, I can tell you my days and it bore you, but, um, you know, it was every day that summer, I'd, I'd meet him at his house in DeWitt. We'd go run into JD Middle School in the morning in the track. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd go back to his house with weights, and then we'd probably go down to the Y, downtown Y, and we'd just try to find a gym. Or most holy rosary on the west side. Yeah. And we played, get a lot of shots up, right? Two, three hundred shots. And then we play one on one half court. We play one on one full court for hours. Wow. And then I go home and nap. I eat. And then at night we go play to Dome or Manly, wherever the camp was, to play pickup ball. Or sometimes we get pickup games at Holy Rosary with a lot of the players. But yeah. the story about that was in the beginning of the summer, um, it's almost like, like, you know, the, the, the tutelage of a mentor of like when we first started playing. He'd win every game eleven to nothing, or eleven to one, or eleven to two. But most of most of the time, Matt, how good Leo was, was he would basically tell me what he was going to do. I'm going to dribble two left here. I'm going to pull up fade away on you, and he would do it, and he could do it every time. And he'd win eleven nothing, like I said, eleven one. And by the end of the summer, just with playing with him and getting confidence and getting stronger and physical. I'll never forget we were at Holy Rosary and I beat him eleven to nothing in a one on one game. And I you would have thought I was like Jim Valvano running around the court celebrating, like screaming hollering, like, I got you, I beat you, I own you. You know, and that <laughs> that was the metamorphosis of my game. And, and it really helped me awesome. uh catapulting into my sophomore year where I didn't start. You know, I was scoring real well and pick up, you know, the orange white scrimmages and you know, exhibition games don't mean anything, but if you remember we played North Carolina, the tip-off classic, they were number one, we were number two. And um, Kevin Madden was suspended by their team, had an incident with J.R. Reed, and uh, they were they were missing a couple players. And Rick Fox was a freshman, and he played really good against us. So we ended up losing in uh, Springfield, Massachusetts. But I wasn't starting. I got in the game and banged three threes in the first half. Uh, ended up scoring maybe 10 or 11. And then we went up to the Alaskan shootout, and uh, we, we – uh, Great teams up there. We got a lucky draw. Michigan ended up losing to Arizona with Glenn Rice, to uh, Steve Kerr's team, and, and Sean Elliott, and all those guys, Cook, uh, uh, McMahon for uh, Arizona. And we played Arizona in the final game, and we ended up losing. But the story about that was that was the last game I ever came off the bench for Syracuse. I came in the first half of that game. It was probably our fourth game of my sophomore year, and I hit four threes in the first half against Arizona. And I came out in the second half, Beheim started me. And, they, and Arizona started out on a box and one B. They guarded me with McMahon, who was 6'6", real long. Um, excuse me, McMillan was, their, um, McMillan was their shooting guard. And they guarded me man-to-man, and they played the rest of our team in a box zone. Two guys on the elbow, two guys on the block. Yeah. And uh, I didn't score in the second half. <laughs> but then the next game we played at home against, I think it was uh, USF Bulls or... Yeah, it was Central, uh, South Florida. We played South Florida. Uh, that was my first game. I started at Syracuse and started the rest of my sophomore and junior year. So, you know, the cards were stacked against me, and my roommate at the time was a starting shooting guard, you know, uh, Earl Duncan. And Earl Duncan uh, was the first casualty of Prop 48. Prop 48 was where you didn't get a qualifying score on your SAT, ACT combined with your GPA. He had to sit out his freshman year. So we put on a little weight. And what a lot of people don't know is that I really believe this in my heart of hearts. If Earl comes to Syracuse in our freshman class uh, and is eligible, I really believe, just from what I know of what was going on, uh, Sherman Douglas probably most likely would have transferred to either Virginia Commonwealth or 
Old Dominion because that freshman year for Sherman Douglas, he sat behind Pearl Washington and he didn't want to sit again. And if you remember back in the, in the 1985-86, they were publicizing Earl Duncan as the next Pearl Washington. Same body type, same game. Yeah. Unfortunately, Earl wasn't really a shooting guard at the time. They tried to make up one. And for that team, I was the perfect remedy for someone as an outside threat. So it was a perfect fit for the team with all that talent. Yeah, Earl Duncan ended up going to Rutgers, right? And he was correct with Keith Hughes. Yeah, two guys and Keith Hughes for the Rutgers too. It's just crazy that you know all the great players you played against in those first couple of years. You know, just going over that. You know, that was a long time ago. And I don't know in this Instagram and and uh, as you said, like Facebook and all these different platforms. And you know, people don't realize like the level of talent that Syracuse had back then and what what it was like. And you know, there's people. I'm on the different forums, just like my own, you know, talking about and looking at what people are saying. And I've been watching this team forever, and 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 I, you know, I, I was younger at that point, so I don't. I remember the great Alaskan shootout, and how when Syracuse would go it was a big deal, or Maui Invitational was a big yeah. deal because it gave you something kind of in that when the the cold started in Syracuse, right? But man, this is some elite talent. And Routens was your mentor. I mean, that's that's huge, and more people may know this generation, maybe know Andy Routens, you know, he played for yeah. Syracuse and then, you know, not too long ago at this point, well, actually it was almost 10 years ago when he played for Syracuse now. So he's playing, he's still playing pro ball. So he just got signed in Greece. He came out of retirement. And the funny thing about Andy is you knew as a kid, uh, you know, I used to go to, like I said, when I work out with Leo, sometimes I go to his house for lunch or just go pick him up or, you know, whatever we meet or, you know, even at night, just hanging out, uh, at his house, you know, pulling, having a couple of beers. Um, Andy was always, at the time, he's probably three or four or five years old. And he used to shoot on a little pop-a-shot basket. Mm -hmm. And he'd come to the gym with us a lot at night if we went to Rosary. And he always wanted to shoot. Uh, but you just knew at that age, uh, he had, <laughs> you know, that it factor as a kid that, um, you know, he could really, just his form was, you know, perfect back then. And, you know, having Leo as a dad. And um, he had an older brother, Michael, who was a pretty good athlete. He was more into baseball. But um, you knew he was going to be something special. Uh, even back then at a young age. And um, that's how fast time has blown. You know, we're, I'm telling these stories to you like it's yesterday. It was like, you know, 30, 30, 35 years ago. You know, yeah. Andy hasn't played Syracuse in 10 years. And I was doing the radio at the time when he was, you know, when they had their runs oh. to the Elite Eights and the Final Fours and things like that. Yeah, I was one of the one teams that I thought, one of the teams was one of the best teams in Syracuse that flamed out and, you know, because of Renzi Onawaku, remember that team? That, that that team was stacked. I mean, you look at it, you know, Andy Routens, um, Wesley Johnson, Onawaku, you know, they had Southern uh, coming off the bench. It was just a sick team, and they lost to Butler that year where Butler went to the championship with Gordon Hayward. Yeah, lost to, uh, lost to Duke because Joseph, I think, was coming off the bench. They were, they were yeah, stacked. Yeah, Joseph you know, was off they, the bench. It, uh, they were, they, you know, the Renzi, I'd say two things that could have cost national championship. Besides Key Smart, you know, we got to move on from that. I get it, but... Um, <laughs> Two two things cost Syracuse, I think, another national championship. That that knee injury to Renze in the Big East championship game, yeah. right? The other one was Fab Mello, um, you know, becoming ineligible. Yeah, uh, we lose to Ohio State was was Sollinger up in Boston. I was doing the radio then. That team was really good. I mean, yeah. Dion, Dion Waiters was our sixth man. Yeah, he was the, the Sollinger though. It was more the other. I can't remember the other guy's name, but he covered for him more in that game. It was. Yeah, it's just those two. Those you're right. Those two teams, and you know, '87. Every time I see Keith Smart's name, I cringe. It was on the bottom line last night because, <laughs> Trust me. because I, I know, man. You must have nightmares. I, I, 
I mean, I saw his name flash, flash across the bottom line last night. He's always watching college basketball. He's actually coaching for Arkansas a couple games because Musselman's out with, like, COVID protocols. And I'm just like, oh, man, Keith Smart. You know, it's like. He played for Musselman in the CBA at Rapid City. Yeah, yeah. I was in um, Sioux Falls Skyforce. Me and Kevin McKenna, was our coach, who's the assistant under Dana Altman at Oregon, um, where Quincy is now. Um, Quincy Garrier. But, um, yeah, we I got traded. um one year in the CBA for about two weeks. Uh, a buddy of mine, uh, Craig Neal, they called him Noodles at Georgia Tech, was a point guard. I, a good friend of mine, and he said, "Come up here," because I wasn't. I was like eighth man, two falls, and I went to Rapid City, and um, Key Smart was on the team. Oh. They were loaded. I didn't play much there either. I mean, these teams, you know, these, these G leagues and all these, you know, yeah. semi-pro leagues and CBA, they're people don't realize how hard it is to um, uh, get to the NBA. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I was last cut was Seattle. Under KC Jones, legitimately the last player cut in 90, 92, uh, 91, and ended up going to the CBA. But uh, I had in an exhibition game against Sacramento Kings. I had uh, like 15 points and like four rebounds and five assists. And uh, I got I got cut the next day. Oh. And I'll never forget it. I went down the middle lane on a, on a UCLA cut, and Dwayne Coswell hit me so hard with an elbow in the chest that I actually – Put me, put me horizontal, and I landed on my elbow and, and, and broke my bursar sack. I'd done that before, and I always wore an elbow pad. Yeah. And so I'm in the training room the next day, and Eddie Williams, or Eddie Johnson, uh, who was the sixth man of the year in Phoenix, and he at the time was, you know, the backcourt in Seattle was, was loaded. Dana Barrows was like the fourth guard. They had Nate McMillan, who's the coach of the Hawks now. Mm-hmm. They had Gary Payton. Uh, they had uh, Ricky Pierce. <laughs> and they had Eddie Johnson. And that's just their backcourt. And Eddie was telling me, hey, and I shot a lot with him before practice. He's like, don't practice today. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, you're going to get cut today. I go, no, not. I just had 15 last night. And he goes, buddy, we've got 14 guaranteed contracts on this team. You're going to get cut today. If you don't practice, you can go on the IR for a week and collect an NBA check. You'll never play in the game, but you can collect a check. I'm like, I'm going to make the team. Go to practice. It was a basic shoot around. The next two days, two days later, they played in the game. After the practice, Casey Jones says, "Hey, can I see you in my office?" I'm like, oh. "Went in and they cut me." <laughs> oh, was that your? Clo- that was it. That was your closest. That was, it. was that the closest? As close as I got. Yeah. And I tried out as a free agent with the Bullets. And they wouldn't guarantee me contracts. All the te- not people I tell now, yeah, Sonics and Bulls. Like, what, what franchise are you on? Now they're the Wizards. Mm-hmm. Um, I got invited back to a vet camp, but never took it because I was making money in Europe. But the, the, people don't realize how hard it is to make the NBA. It's, it's really hard. Well, that was pretty close. I mean, that's. You know, as I said before, first of all, Faithful Manlius is not a hotbed for talent to make <laughs> Division One. I, I mean, lacrosse, yes. Basketball, yes. no. Cross country. Cross yeah. country. I mean, you know, there's definitely guys that have – and I, I think – I never followed the football team as much because they were really bad when I was there. But they've got, they, there was a guy at Syracuse that played at FM, I'm pretty sure, and they've gotten more guys from football. But So from right. from that, you know, you go to five-star. You, you play at Syracuse, you go to the national championship team, you – you play with these elite players, you know, you you run in a lot of different huge circles. Like you said, you were that close in the NBA. You play professionally, you know. And we talked about Quincy Gurrier a little bit, or you touched on him a little bit before. And I want to talk to you about that next is, you know, you, you left Syracuse after three seasons, transferred to Maryland after a team that probably was going to be really good. You know, that team that you left. Ended up having a good regular season, but then lost to Richmond, which is another tough one to always stomach, I know, from Syracuse fans. But, um, and 
I kind of want to talk to you about why do you think the guys left, so many guys left last year? You know, do you think it was a similar situation to maybe you or, or not, or is it completely different? You know, you know let's start with you know, Quincy Gurrier since you mentioned him. Why do you think he yeah. decided to go? Well, it's a, it's a million dollar question. Look, and I, and I'm, I, you know, I talked about two things that cost Syracuse championship. I hate to be selfish. A lot of people say, hey, when you left the team, like you said, um, you, you, you could have cost them a championship because they didn't have an outside threat. Now, Tony Scott shot well, but not consistent for that team. But um, I always felt in my mind I could have been like a Reed Geddes. You know, they didn't really have a point guard. They tried Stevie at They played Michael Edwards at it. Yeah, I remember him. Undersized. But, you know, that team was loaded. It was Derek Coleman. It was um, Billy Owens, Stevie Thompson, right? Uh, and it was, uh, they got LaRon Ellis when I transferred out. LaRon came in from Kentucky, but and Dave Johnson. Dave Johnson took a lot of my time. So my reasons for leaving really were, I, I went from averaging 32, 33 minutes a game down to 25, 24, and Dave Johnson was an unbelievable freakish athlete. Yeah. Playing the NBA along with another guy on our bench, Rich Manning. Okay, so we had seven guys. Man. On a, you know, at the top seven, we had all of them played in the NBA but me. And Stevie Thompson had a couple of 10 days, but six of the seven played in the NBA and two of your bench guys. So, you know, my reasoning was I wanted to be the guy. I thought I could do it in Maryland, and I didn't realize when I went to Maryland they were going to be put on probation due to Bob Wade's coaching. So, um, you know, back then you had to average 17, 18 a game, which I did do at Maryland, which no one really knows because we were never on TV. Uh, for Quincy Gary to answer your question, you know, people here, you know, you got a lot of people in there. Quincy, the hell of an athlete, a hell of a rebounder, would have been very good on this team as far as a force down low or a post-up guy. Gets the free throw line up, but what, what's the thing everyone's in his head about? You, you're, not, you're not a good jump shooter. So maybe he goes to Oregon and you watch him and you said it you know, earlier. He's, he's hanging around the point line. And, you know, sometimes people, you know, do. I've always been a thing of do what you do best. You know, I know I can always shoot it. At Maryland, I learned to do a little more off the bounce, and my three-point percentage struggled because of it. And due to the fact we lost Walt Williams, who's one of the most talented players I've ever played with, uh, played with Sacramento and Houston and a lot of teams, he was a 6'7", 6'8", point guard. Uh, broke his leg six games into my last year. Uh, so I had to learn how to do it off the bounce a little bit and learn to be more of a scorer in Europe. I don't know, you know, for Quincy, his numbers aren't great. Um you know, someone like Kadari Richmond, same thing. I mean, he's probably got people in his ear saying, you got to be the starting point guard. you got to play a lot of minutes. Um, you know, um, Joe Girard was probably the incumbent to come back and start. And they're different players. Joe was more of a shooter. Uh, Kadari can really, uh, is a great defensive player. Uh, when he seems very interested, he can really get up and down. And, you know, I don't know, you know, that UConn game, he scored like 21 in a row. He's, he's got NBA talent. Yes. Um, but I think a lot of it's advice you're getting from family, uh, friends, coaches, uh, people that hang around you in your in your in your uh, support group. Uh, it's it's tough today, and the the, the problem that is, I think the NCAA's got to figure this out. I get it with COVID, the extra year. I, I really believe that not everybody should have gotten an extra year. Maybe juniors and seniors, or maybe seniors only, because mm-hmm. it was a short year. But it's a logjam out there, and what's making it worse is the transfer portal. Uh, there's no, and I get it, the other side of it is when coaches can change jobs and there's no allegiance. You know, the kid went there because of a coach and now he can't leave. But, you know, when I left, the rule was you got to sit out a year no matter what. Yeah. Uh, if you went in conference, which no one did, you know, if I decided hey, I want to go to St. John's in the Big East, I had to sit out two years. So yeah. no one's going to do that. No. Today you can go anywhere you want and play right away. I know. Uh, it's just too easy. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I guess that's our generation and kids, you know, that it's, you know, the trophies. You know, generation, everyone's got to be happy and everyone gets even playing time. And, 
You know, if I'm not happy, I'm going to take my ball and go home. I don't know if a lot of it's that. I think some kids picked the wrong program to begin with, mm -hmm. uh, whether through AAU affiliation, uh, whether their high school coach has a relationship with a college coach, uh, their AAU coach has a relation. But I think that kids aren't doing their due diligence up front. And you got to remember, you know, my freshman year at FM, I, I never, I played JV. I played behind my, my best friend, Darren Fink. I didn't even start. I was the seventh man on JV. I didn't start at FM till my sophomore year. Uh, these kids don't start on varsity as freshmen in high school. So why should they be starting their freshman year yeah. playing a lot in college? And, and, and the people are better. It's the 1% of all the players in the country. You're playing against everyone on your team was the best player in their high school and probably their best player in AAU. Yeah. That's how good the competition is. And I think kids give up too early and say, well, the grass is always greener. Sometimes it's not. And I do, you know, to a man, and I tell people this, I do regret leaving Syracuse. You know, I thought, you know, I grew up here. Uh, I, 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 you know, I, I, I missed my teammates, uh, the style of play, but I, I was very fortunate getting Gary Williams. I had two Hall of Fame coaches with yeah. Beheim and, and Gary Williams. And I, and I missed being close to home, uh, but I think it was good for me to grow up. Uh, but I always in my mind think, could we have won a national championship if I stayed? And that's always going to stay with me. And that's, yeah. you know, there, there's a fork in the road for everybody. Right. We all have decisions to make. It's which way you choose. you got to, you got to stay convinced and, and dedicated to that decision and stay with it and make the best of it. So what do you think the conversations were like with those two guys? I mean, Braswell left also. Ellen Griffin left. You know, Dolajai decided to leave. I wasn't too surprised about those guys. Braswell yeah. leaving, I didn't think was too surprising. But what do you think the conversations were like with, you know, you know, Bayheim and Richmond? You know, what did you think he said to him that made him? You know, there were reports saying that oh. Richmond didn't like what he said to him. There was this. I don't know because I'm not in the room. I would only yeah. get... Well, sometimes... You know, there's a process to it. And I, again, mine was different. I just had to get my release, and you're not allowed, you know, to contact anyone prior until you get that release. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. I, some of these guys might have never even been in Coach Bayon's office. Some of them may have had a parent call, a coach call for them to, mm -hmm. to grant their release. It seems pretty quick now that, you know, kids could do it, especially, you know, what the football team went through this year, right? At Syracuse, yeah. you know, with DeVito <laughs> and other people leaving. I mean, you know, they get right into the portal. I don't know the process. I don't know the conversation, but I think, you know, coach is going to be fair with them. I mean, he's going to tell them the, you know, coaches are going to sugar, sugarcoat anything. He's going to tell you, here's the, here's the real deal. Uh, here's what I see your role as. And people surprise him. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I didn't think Jesse Edwards would be this far along this year. No, you know, it's, it's on a kid, how much work you want to put in. And if you're good yeah. enough, you know, listen, these coaches got to win at the end of the day, right. you know, maybe, maybe not coach Ben cause he's, he's been here 44 years, but a lot of these coaches, uh, even in, you know, the NFL with guys getting fired and, you know, college basketball, college football, you have a couple losing seasons and you're looking for an assistant job somewhere else. It's, it's brutal today. So the, the coaches, you know, I hear a funny story. Uh, I stay in touch with a lot of my Maryland guys. Um, you know, Dwayne Simpkins was a former Maryland player. He's a, he's an assistant coach on the D1 level. Um, and they actually went back this year. Um, he's at, he's at Mason. They went back and, and beat, um, Except James Madison, they went back and beat Maryland this year, his alma mater. And he made a funny comment to me. And he said, Matt, he goes, I have parents telling me all the time, you know, why isn't my kid playing? Um, you know, what what's what he's getting screwed, you know, what why? And Dwayne is Dwayne is is is, is honest and as easy as it comes. He says, You know what? Come to practice and watch. He goes, Our job is to win basketball games. Yeah. We get paid to do it. We want to win. And you come to practice and you watch. And you see what we see, and then you tell me why your son, you know, or in a case of a female coach, or, 
women's coach or your son or daughter isn't playing. They see it every day in practice. They're going to see the best players. If you're not going to get better and stay devoted and convicted to it, you're just going to keep making excuses, and eventually you'll get your shot and you're going to play. And you, and you got to perform. I mean, I don't, so, I, yeah, I don't think people understand the level when you were describing before, you know, you, you need a workout partner. Luckily, Routon's took you under his wing, but I mean, that's a, that's a full day. I mean, you're not, it's not like you're, you're okay. So, I mean, you could have a summer job, right. And, and also work your training around it. I know some guys try to do that, but it seems to me, I mean, you guys would run, you would lift weights, then you would take a nap, then you would find the best pickup game. I mean, it was what you did from night, you know, from morning to night. It wasn't just like, Oh yeah, I'm going to show up at my rec league game this night. And right. same, and it's just, I don't think people understand the level of, of what it takes to be that um, that great of an athlete, that great of a player. You know, I saw, I don't know if you saw this, but Tyler Lydon kind of like shot back at the fans saying, you don't understand what D1 athletes go through. No, we don't. But, I mean, no one could comment on anything, right? <laughs> anything yeah. anything in life. But it's, it's really great to get this perspective of, of like what's it like to play against elite talent, what you have to do. You know, how do you have to uh, work at it every day? How, why do guys decide to transfer or not transfer, you know, and you said, you said everyone has a decision to make and it's, it's your decision at that point was just to go that route. And as you said, your numbers jumped crazily. You averaged 17.6 points per game that season, you know, for your career, averaging 11 points per game. But as I said before, you still hold the single season record for a three point percentage. You're still second on the list for career. You know, I don't, I don't know what people say to you these days. I'm sure people talk to you about, hey, you should have been on that team still. It's probably the first thing people say yeah. to you, right? Well, the funny thing about the career, too, is that uh, I always kid. I call him money. It's Greg Monroe. He's first on the list of career. Yeah. But if you look at it, they should have asterisked it because Greg only played one year with a three-point line the senior year. So, you know, yeah, one year, I had three. So, then you, so technically, you are. <laughs> Trust me, it was a good percentage. But he, I, I think Greg I could be wrong. That year, he probably took 87 to 100 degrees. I don't even think that much. We so he, know, he had, smart. yeah, he did. You know, Patino Brown, how many did he take? How many did Greg take? I don't have to look it up, but uh, he, yeah. I don't know, it's probably less than 100. But That's, I always joke with him. He's got the career three point field goal percentage, but he only, he only, it's one year of his career. It's the only year Greg started, but Greg was just, Greg was one of those. He and Howie Trish were the key to that, that glue to that uh, national championship run. Those guys were quality individuals, great leaders, and, um, but you know, that's that's. I'm glad Greg's in the record books. That's the asterisk, though. That you know, sometimes Syracuse uh, sports information thing doesn't say. I mean, I know some of the other guys and John Gillian and stuff like that pay for one season, so like them being the yeah. career list is not should be like a minimum of something, you know. But I didn't even yeah. real I didn't even realize that myself. But, you know, that's bad on my part. So technically, no, you... no, no, no. I just find it funny. But you know, the the, the, the to qualify for that percentage, I guess you only have to take fifty three. So I yeah. know a couple times guys were pretty close. Percentage-wise, like C.J. Fair missed a couple threes against his last game against Michigan in the Final Four that put him below my percentage. You know, he took maybe 54 on the year. And uh, another guy that was close was um, uh, the guy up from Watertown, Matt Gorman. Gorman. Uh, he was in the NITs, I think, against Clemson and missed one or two of his last threes that brought him below that 47%. So it's kind of funny to watch. But, you know, records, look, they're made to be broken. I mean, we, you know, speaking of FM, they just had uh, – you know, uh, Tom Blackford, uh, coached at FM for a little while, just got those the career wins in Section 3 as a coach. Um, he's a coach at Hamilton High now, uh, but he coached FM for probably eight, nine years, and he just got it last night, I think. It was you know, over 570 wins. So, you That's know, cool. records are always going to be broken. Yeah. Uh, there's a few of them out there. 
like Will Chamberlain's that may never be broken, but um, we'll you know see. it's fun to watch. It's fun to talk about. We'll we'll see who can break yours. Maybe Gerard if he if he uh, yeah if he gets there. Hey, Gerard started out this year seventy five percent, like I first know. eight or nine games, you know. But he he can really shoot it. Yeah. Um, you know he he gets going. He he he's the type that can make four, five, six in a row. So let's talk about Gerard kind of in, in, in a local sense. You know, I mean, you're a local kid, as you said. It, it took a major process for you to get there. You know, Gerard was different. I mean, he was recruited by Duke. He was recruited by bigger schools because of how much he could score. What does he think? What do you think he feels like sometimes with the, being the local guy? Uh, well, first, I think there's a lot of vetting that goes on. You know, Coach Beheim is not going to bring in anybody from the area. And Joe's a little bit different, you know, you know, being, uh, he's upstate, but he's not really, you know, Syracuse, Clint's Falls is, you know, a good couple hour drive, hour and a half drive or whatever. But, you know, coach will vet kids to make sure he knows they're going to be able to contribute or play. There's not many local kids he's taken over the years. You know, the ones that come to my mind are like, you know, from JD, Brandon, Trish, Dewan Coleman, you know, legacies. He talks about any routes. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's certain kids, you know, Lazar Sims, uh, you know, before me was Howie Trish. Uh, from Corcoran, um, you know, he's going to take kids that he knows are going to be able to um, contribute and play. But there's it an added pressure. You know, people can say that, not say it, but, you know, you have your friends that are always home during Thanksgiving and Christmas. Uh, a lot of the people you knew grew up in a community, parents, friends of the parents of your friends are going to go to games and maybe see the ticket holders. Uh, people are constantly tugging at you and to do the right thing that, hey, can you – come sign autographs here, can you, you know, uh, can, can we get access to the locker room, or can we get game tickets, I mean, there's a lot to that, that a lot of people don't know, um, and you're, you know, look, let's be honest, Syracuse, you know, basketball's a game where you don't have a helmet on, you don't have a bas- you don't have a, a, a equipment on, um, you don't, in baseball, you don't have a hat on, um, you're exposed, your face is everywhere, um, you're playing on a, with a jersey and a pair of shorts, so people, when you go out in the community, uh, you're very recognizable. That was the weirdest thing for me. Maybe not so much my freshman year because I was a 12th guy or 11th guy. I didn't play a lot. You know, I was kind of part of the team. Um, but, you know, my sophomore year when I was playing a lot, your mugs on TV, on ESPN every week, uh, CBS every month, uh, weekend games. Um, there's a lot to it. Joe, um, you know, the difference between Joe and I, and I thank my lucky stars, is social media today. It is brutal. Uh, you know, uh, chat rooms, uh, Facebook, um, you know, Instagram. Um, these kids get hammered today. Mm-hmm. Uh, fans, they're all behind their keyboards. Um, they'll say anything. It's really brutal. And uh, kind of like what Tyler Lydon said, you know, you don't know what these kids are going through. There's enough pressure and peer pressure out there with kids today, uh, you know, with school, uh, with, with social bullying. Um, there's a lot out there. And, yeah. um, you know, we're not all perfect. Um, kids are going to miss shots. We're not going to inbound the ball. I know that's a big deal. You know, this team lost to Colgate. There's a lot of things out there that, <laughs> that people get on. Um, you know, the toughest part, I think, probably uh, for the Bayheim kids being under the microscope. And, you know, 30% of every production we see on TV or radio is geared towards the Bayheims. Yeah. Um, you're playing for your dad. Uh, that can't be easy. You know, imagine being Buddy or Jimmy and, Kids on the team might get yelled at and think in their mind, well, coaches and yelling at their kids like that. I mean, it's, it's just a constant, it's a, that's a right. tough thing to balance. I'm not saying that happens or doesn't, but that's just tough on any kid. It's tough on the coaching staff, I'm sure, too. Um, the kids they recruit. So, you know, you're, 
it's hard. Yeah, I mean, definitely that's definitely out there. All those things about you know the coach's sons and Gerard and you know my take on it is that Gerard is just more of a shooting guard, I think, and that's fine. I mean, I I just think that that's more. I don't know what your take is. Do you think he's better off being off the ball, or do you think he he? I mean, because he's a junior now. You know, we've seen what we've yeah. seen. What do you think? Well, there's games, you know, I think that some games they've they've, they've struggled. Um, you know, teams look at Buddy's the top guy in the scouting report, right? Yeah. I mean, he, your teams are trying to stop him. You know, Buddy's kind of been interesting in his progression of the back down. And he gets, someone said, I, I don't know if this is true stat, but he's been to the free throw line four times the amount of any other season projected out today. So that says a lot for his games diversified, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, he's gotten more much better with using his shot uh at times last two seasons his percentage have been high like 27 percent from three and all of a sudden he starts catching fire as the season goes on he's starting to do that now but he's been very good at off the dribble out of out of bounds plays uh, catch one dribble two pull up with the back downs something that's tough to stop especially with shorter defender so he's found ways uh to score with gerard it's interesting you know um you know if kadari stays you know, it's a guy that can maybe get him shots. I, a lot of games, Syracuse struggles. You go look at the shooting percentages. You know, the guys are going to get shots usually are Jesse early, right? Buddy and Jimmy. Mm-hmm. The guys that are the X Factors are Cole Spider and Joe. Joe was great. Um, the loss they had uh, down in, um, at Wake, uh, you know, I think he made his, you know, he had four or five threes made right away. Uh, he was very good in the Miami game, too. You know, yeah. he shot well. Um, but, um, you know, it's sometimes he, I think he's better off the ball. Once he gives it up, the problem is he's not giving it back a lot, right? Mm-hmm. He brings it up. You know, people complain about his turnovers. He's not really been turning over. He's not a blow-by guard. But he gets him in a set, and then once it goes to Buddy on a curl or the, or the action with Jimmy, um, there's not a lot of kickouts back to him. And teams, once they get, he gives it up, they're kind of suffocating. So, um, you know, at times I think he's better off the ball, and, and Coach Barron's gone to that lineup. Uh, at times it put Buddy on the back line and, and gone with um, uh, Simeon Torrance as the as a guard who can create shots for other people, uh, created for Joe and Buddy. But it's an interesting thing. I mean, you know, Joe was a volume shooter in high school. All right. time he's for New York took forty shots a game. It's tough, you know, anyone that comes to college, and that's why I use an analogy. It's going to be tough for like a JJ Starling in college in Notre Dame. I mean, he gets Beville. He was getting thirty shots a game at uh, prep school at Lalamere. Getting 20, 25 shots a game. When he plays for the Albany City Rocks, he's getting 20 shots at AU. <laughs> you know, when you go to freshman year, unless they think you're a one and done, which I don't know if JJ is, he may surprise me, um, he's going to be getting eight to 12 shots a game. Maybe. And that's yeah. how Joe's had to adjust, is your shot volume is not as much. And if you miss one or two, your brain starts thinking, and all of a sudden you might hear that noise of, you know, I used to hear it with Dave Johnson. If I missed a couple, you know, you're looking on the sideline, you know that guy's coming for you. Uh, right. There's a lot of pressure on that to make shots. It's, yeah. a, it's a hard way to play. Um, easier for guys to get to take 15 or 20. And most teams only have one or two guys to get those. So, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a tough it's a, it's a tough balance for people. Yeah, you know, as, as far as people talking about him on the, the boards and stuff, you know, I, <laughs> it goes back and forth even with my circle of people. And I always say, I, I, just, I just think he's better as a two-guard. I just think he is. Yeah. what you just described. Um but obviously, Beheim, Jim Beheim doesn't think Samurai Torrance is ready to take on that load at points, or if they're sacrificing offense. But I don't know. I you know, looking at the team and and sometimes and as I I went through um, the losses, you know, look at the season before. 
I thought it was a bubble team anyways, but, you know, I thought for sure they're going to lose to somebody in the Battle for Atlantis because they're just a superior team. And then they would lose probably to Villanova just because Villanova has become an elite program, right? I mean, they were good for a long time, but, you know, I did one of the other podcasts before the game. And I talked about Greg Woodard. Woodard, remember him? Okay. Greg is a, Greg's a Rochester guy. Yeah, I know. Uh, Great, great, great shooter. Good, good man, good man, too. Yeah. So, my man used to come to the Dome and just light us up. But anyways, (laughs) um, just the other six games, you know, I think they were definitely winnable games. And three I want to to talk to you about. One, the Georgetown game. Two, the Miami and the Wake Forest. So, first, Georgetown, I thought, you know, second half, Ewing came out with a smaller lineup. And Syracuse had really no answer for it. Why do you think that was? Or do you not think that was the case? Well, no, it definitely is a good point. I got, in full disclosure, that's the one game we'll probably talk about that I didn't get to see until late. I was uh, coming from uh, one of my, my son's games, and I caught it up at uh, Delhi, up in Onondaga Hill. And okay. I did see it late, where I just thought uh, the guard from Georgetown caught fire uh, and just late possessions, you know. Uh, I remember Joe missing a free throw to get into a one possession, but yeah. uh, we just weren't, we didn't make shots late. They were forced. Um, they weren't good shots, but I didn't see the adjustment. Like it, I caught probably the last three minutes of that game. Okay. Um, but even even but, so, in that know, three, it's, tough to, yeah. it's tough to adjust. And then, you know, the, the biggest, and you know, this the biggest adjustment coach has to make is Jesse fouling out of almost every game, right? Yeah. So who are you, who, who are you going with? Do you go with a smaller lineup, uh, kind of like you know, go with Jimmy at center, which hasn't really worked great, right? No. So he's kind of <laughs> restricted on what 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 to do. No. Um, but you in know, that, but you're talking a, about the last. One yeah. the you're talking about the last three minutes, and you know that just. Yeah. Even even so, okay, George Shunk came back. You, you know that happens in college basketball all the time. There's always runs. We all know that all the time, yeah. and it, you know it's Syracuse George Shunk. So there's always things like that can happen. And I, I don't even care about that. But so they're down at the end of the yeah. game, right? And so it's Buddy takes it, he scores, and then the next possession, it's Swire who shoots it. Now, to me. You know, I say this all the time about anyone that plays any sports, right? You've got – and the people who say this to me, I was a role player in any sport I did for the know, like Know your role. Play within yourself, okay? So when I see Swatter take that shot, that's the first thing that snaps him. We call it KYP, know K- your personnel. Go ahead. That, yeah, that's KYP. Right. I, I talked about that because I went to a seminar with uh, Herm – or not Herm. Uh, Herm, Herm Edwards talks about that all the time. You know, you yeah. – But um, <laughs> he gets the ball and he, he – he shoots a contested three, and I and that's the first thing that's popping in my head is, is Herm Edwards saying that know your personnel, know your job. Yeah. And I just don't think that's his shot, right? Do you agree oh. or no? There was, a, there was another game he did that at home uh, that they lost recently. He took a three-leg contested on the left wing. Who did they lose to? They lost Virginia. to um, Virginia. A team came back at the Dome. Um, not Pitt. They blew them out. Who was the Virgi- one previous to that? Virgi- not Indiana. Virginia. Virginia. Yeah. He did that in the Virginia game. Yeah. Yes. Why? Where you didn't know your personnel. Maybe it's not your shot driving dish, but your, your shooters on those teams are who? Buddy and Joe. Mm. Uh, and then Joe hesitated almost like a clutch shot in front of the bench against Virginia, too. Well, we blocked him, though. Uh, he, that guy, correct. Clark, Clark yeah. had his number in that game, yeah. right? Yeah. That's a KYP. <laughs> I'm with you 100%. Um, I, you know, and again, we'll go to Cole again that shot. He missed right uh, on the road against um, Miami runs it down and then gets a three and then at the end of the clock he banged in it remember he thought he got fouled they're down four and he made yeah. it at three but again you know buddy had fouled out at that point so again go KYP if I'm on that team you know when I played look and I'm not 
if we're playing Kentucky, I was watching an old rerun of that game. We were wearing the blue uniforms. I mean, late in the game, I know who to look for. I'm going to cycling down low on the block. They're calling down low on the block. I'm fighting Sherman. You know, that's not Matt Rose' choice to go one-on-one or jack a deep contested three. <laughs> that's not going to happen. So what? So why do you think he thinks he can do that? I love his confidence. You listen to him, he thinks he's one of the greatest shooters in the country. The numbers don't bear that out yet. Right. You know, it's, I mean, Beheim says, he says he wants to be, be more aggressive, but like, yeah. again, KYP, like, I, I say, I say you can disagree with me or tell me um, uh, any, otherwise, but, you know, Swider and, and Jimmy Beheim are kind of similar players, right? Like, they play hard, you, you root for them because they play, they play really hard, and they'll do things throughout the game, you know, that k- keeps you in the game, like, gets you a bucket down low, or, you know, gets tracks down a loose ball or makes it, you know, Swatter hit the three against Florida State, who they're going to play tomorrow. And that's one of the reasons they won. They hit the two foul shots. So you can't say, I'm done. I don't want you to. But like, they also, they have their their shortcomings. Like you said, KYP. Like, you're not taking guys off the dribble. You're not, and you're not taking contested threes. And if you do and you make them, that's great. But really, that's not your game. You need one dribble to the basket or, you know, Jimmy's got the post up type. But then when they're in the same time, it's kind of like, I don't know what I don't know what they're doing because they just don't sometimes understand what they're supposed to do. I feel like I don't know what you feel about those. I mean, they don't understand what they're doing, but like they're just taking shots it's, sometimes that aren't there. You know, our biggest thing when um, and I'm, and I'm trying to think back because you always remember your last few years of college, but like <clears throat> we'd watch film a lot at, at Syracuse, but we were, you know, we were a dominant team on talent. So I can remember like it was, you know, the biggest watching a lot of film at Syracuse was we were, we ended up winning the game. We were nowhere. We were going to lose for the third time. You know, Bayheim's teams never lose two in a row, let alone this was three in a row. So we had like a summit meeting, so to speak on the road in, in Philly, uh, just kind of like an air it out kind of problems. And, you know, what are we doing going forward to help us? You know, we had to beat Villanova. Um, but, you know, I, my, I remember with Gary Williams, uh, you know, your biggest dread was if you had lost and you made, bad plays the next day you know we practice life but we go in and watch film and it's brutal you know it's breakdowns you know guy one of the coaches that have a remote and he would just stop it and he would just say you know what are you thinking here he'd call you out what are you thinking here and you know is this a good shot he'd ask you that reflexive question you you know do you think this is your shot can we get a better one so in your brain we're always programmed you know one more you know if i if i got a good shot good but maybe someone else if i could all rotate one more time mm-hmm. get a better one but we were all about that and um you know if you didn't if you didn't jump on the train and learn from those experiences the same dumb thing he'd take you out and with gary williams you never want to be out of the game because i don't know if you've ever seen him coach yeah. he yells more at the bench on the guys on the court <laughs> and i my teammates would always bitch you know like excuse my language but like why you know you, why am I not playing? I hate being on the bench because all he does is yell at me for your fault. And I'm like, well, I try to limit my mistakes because I don't want to be on the bench getting spit at and yelled at and screamed at. That's that's what kept you in your mind of I'm going to make the right play. And a lot of those film sessions did that for us. We we're all on a Maryland chat now. We joke about funny stuff that happened and mm. sessions that are remote control being thrown and just funny stuff that we remember 30 years later uh, with those film sessions and the film sessions were the size of probably my, my office I'm sitting in right now, you know, yeah. a little, you know, 20 by 20 room with, a, you know, 12, 13 
you know, six, eight guys and up and all sweaty from practice sitting on, uh, back then we didn't have those luxurious chairs. You know, you're sitting on like a, a stool watching <laughs> an old VHS tape and just getting screamed at. And it, 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 it was kind of like, it taught you the right way to play. Yeah. You know, there was a dread, but it was a way that we learned and got better. So I'm talking with Matt Rowe, former Syracuse player here on the Dome Dog Podcast. He's been taking a lot of time with me. Very gracious for that. Thanks, Matt, for being on with me here. Talking about everything under the sun from, you know, how he got there, how he played at Syracuse, who he played against, what he thinks about the team now. So two other games I want to talk about um, where I just thought Syracuse could have won the game and they just didn't. Um, from my perspective, the Miami game, you know, I, I said it before, my, before the game, Jesse Edwards, should eat this guy alive on Miami. Their big guys not that good. They're not a big team. And I was just delighted. In the first couple minutes, the ball's going inside. I'm like, yes, he's going to kill him. They come out in the second half, and, and they don't give him the ball. And I, I had to ask you, Matt, why? Why don't they give him the ball? Well, a couple, a couple things. Uh, great question. Um, <laughs> well, that game, first off, and I watched it all, I've never seen a team. What, what was Syracuse up, 17? Something, I mean, they were up by a lot, but Miami made a couple yeah, baskets yeah, at the end of the first Yeah. Because I remember Maryland, we came back and beat uh, um, they had Gary, this guy, Gary Alexander, and Dobras down at um, um, uh, South Florida. And there's the same thing in Maryland. Gary didn't come into the locker room at halftime to talk. His assistants had to. We were down 17 and won the game. Uh, but we full court pressed. That game reminded me exactly of it because it was in Florida. It's Miami. Miami came out early in the second half and hit a bunch of threes, three in a row. Yeah. And we were turning it over. They were pressing. We couldn't get the ball in the court. So that turned that game quickly. And I agree with you. I think at times, you know, teams scout, you know, other teams try it. Jesse gets free runs at the rim as they're starting. If you put if you put Buddy and Jesse in a screen and roll, a lot of teams now are jumping Buddy. They don't want him to get a free look. Yeah. And so he's getting, Jesse was getting rim runs. But I, I don't know the question of that. I mean, Jesse gets some foul trouble in the second half all the time. It's just, but, but it should be, you know, instead of, you know, coming down and running, you know, the screens and the curls for, for Buddy at times, dump it into your big. Right. Teams that are successful today, um, and, and Baylor's one of the best, they, they play inside out. They get their big touches. And like, if Jesse can get free reign on somebody at 6'11", and he's scoring, he doesn't have a ton of moves, but he's a threat down there, right? He's a threat. He doesn't need the, a ton, right? He the, just the needs next it. phase is to teach Jesse how to pass out of that double to an open Joe Girard or an open Cole Slider, mm. whoever's man is doubling down. A lot of teams are doubling off of either Jimmy or Cole. They're not going to come off of Joe or Buddy. Right. So I, it's puzzling to me. I did it, but that was one of the quickest round games I've ever seen. And then Syracuse had to fight for their lives. And, you know, Buddy fouled out. He, Buddy, Buddy had two in the first half, I think. And yeah. I think it's a scores mentality. Let's come out and say, hey, I got to score. And at times they do ignore Jesse. Yeah. You know, it's never been in. You know, how many scoring centers can you name at Syracuse? I, mean, I played with one, Ronnie Cycling, Rosie Bowie, uh, you know, um, you know, Rick, Rick Jackson was one of the best, I thought, you know, in Syracuse program. Uh, Mello was more of a shot blocker, Fab Mello. Mm -hmm. But there hasn't been a ton of centers. You know, Coleman thought he was a small forward shooting guard, so I'm not even going to put him in this <laughs> conversation. But, um, you know, there's not many, many back-to-the-basket scorers in Syracuse history. Right. Yeah, and it's kind of the, you know, the, you know, I'll ask about this in a second, but you know we're all about three pointers now. Everyone's talking about analytics and yeah. this, but I mean, yeah. anyone you know, anyone that's played basketball, and I'm, I'm sure it's more people that are a little older, like you and I, you know, you gotta give the big man a touch. You know, I just yeah. feel like you gotta give him the ball. You gotta keep him happy. They work too hard, right? Yeah, you gotta feed the beast. They work you know, too hard. One time I was I was doing a uh, I was doing a game, and Doug Collins was the announcer, and 
you know, just kind of like now, just sitting, I'm just sitting there soaking up stuff from him, just, he's telling stories left and right, and he said that, like, if you don't give the big man uh, a a, pit, uh, uh, a dump off on a pick, he's going to, in the locker room when I played, he's going to kick my butt. You know, it wasn't like, a, like, hey, man, do this or else. And it's like, I don't know if that happens anymore in locker rooms. I don't know if the kids are allowed. They're too scared. I don't, but, like, I, I just want to see Jesse Edwards just kind of, like, get mad. You know, like, come to the, come into the, um, come into the huddle and be like, yo, man, I'm destroying this guy. Like, what are you doing? You know, like, and it's not just in that game. And I've seen it. I don't know if you've seen this too, Matt, but I've seen it a bunch of times where, He's open, or Aslam's open, you know, even on the, on the curl, where they just got to give it to him. And it's like, just, I know that you're probably not getting the ball back, but just give it to him on that, because he'll be grateful for it. He'll probably play better defense, and he'll probably look to pass it to you next time. And it's, right. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but I mean, I just... I, I do. I, I, the hardest thing that I've, you know, I'm, the teams and games I watch, and sometimes it's, you know, my, my kids games it's amazing how different the game has changed you know the defensive intensity and the athleticism is so great uh, women's and men's but a lot of teams don't to your point not only you know i think when they go down low it becomes like that you know the black hole where you're never going to get back because they're so happy to touch it <laughs> but the problem today is teams don't you know when i grew up we always played ball reversal like a lot of these teams just stay on the same side syracuse is one of them you know they're going to stay on the same side with curls with buddy maybe jimmy's flashing opposite um, down the middle, but um, the defense doesn't have to work. So if I'm guarding my man and I'm just in full denial on Buddy, and I never have to know that the ball's going to go to the top of the other side, at least the help side, and make the defense work. These teams, teams I see today pass it three, four times max. I know there's a shot clock, but you can give five or six passes, and the good teams make you work from side to side, and that does what? Tires the team down. Watch Villanova play. That ball is constantly moving, and their guys are great at getting in the lane, two-legged stop pass out ditch yeah um, that's what they're trained to do yeah that, it's hard to guard clinic. it was the same way clinic they, and then that, ball, that ball's humming that same thing with you know and virginia's not even that great of a team this year but you can see that they're you know their mentality is almost like the old hoosiers movie right like four four passes before there's a, a shot how great how great was their point guard at the dome right he's always great he's always great big big shots great defender and he was not in a hurry yeah patient and he picked his own apart you know, he's he's one of he's one of the guys that if you've watched Syracuse Virginia the last couple of years, I always say just I mean just double him. You know, just yeah. he can't he he's smaller and he can sometimes get through it. But the success Syracuse had against Virginia has always become when they they throw that press on starting with that 2016 team. I know those teams they aren't all the same teams, but Clark's been there now for years. And whenever Syracuse pressures him, like with two say like Buddy and and Jimmy or Buddy and another six foot four guy, and he can't see. Then, then yeah. it changes the game, but there, he was just picking them apart, like you said. So, um, I wasn't going to touch on the Virginia game really, but that, the last one was the West, the Wake Forest game, and I just want to know, like, how is it, how is it possible at the end of the game that Syracuse can't get the ball in? It's amazing because they did it prior, right? And they got, and they got the foul because um, Wake Forest that was their sixth foul, so they got it in the same lineup, uh, the same line formation. Um, I always thought, you know. Coach always is good. I don't know if you remember this one. They used to take it out underneath the basket. That they used to do it a lot. The, 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 the long fly pattern. Um, you throw it out, you know, like to Dion and um, you know guys in the past athlete. They go for across on the line. This is under the basket. This is on the side. You're in front of the bench. You know, you, we know the tell the replay. You couldn't really get a look at it. Some people say, you know, Buddy was fouled. Buddy may not even touch the ball. Uh, it's unexplainable um, because you just ran the same play, uh, but not being able to get it in. To cost you a game like that and 
for them to score, correct me if I'm wrong, they scored on a uh, dunk and one, right, to get the third. They were down three. They didn't do it on a conventional three. They, I think they dunked and they got the free throw to tie it, correct? No, and I think the, they just, the, they just the dunked it. They down, they're, Turkey's up by two, and they dunked okay, it. Okay, two. So they got the dunk to tie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 That was a weird – I mean, that was a weird game. But to lose it because of that, that's just a fundamental basketball play. It's brutal. Uh, brutal. So who – so, like – you know, this is another debate of one of my other fellow FM guys, and he's always talking about Beheim. I, I like Beheim as a coach. I know what he's done. I, I, I'm all aware of that stuff. But in this year, in some of these games, I feel like that is that a coaching thing, or is that is that a player just simply can't execute a out of bounds play? Because either way, to me, is kind of baffling. A Division One team can't can't even if even if they threw the ball all the way down the court right and they got it all the way down there it still would have given them a better chance they'd have to come all the way the length of the court and still tie it right so how is that whose whose fault is that I can't put it on one person because i'm not that huddle and i don't know um i'll tell you it's 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 sometimes it's a brain block with people i'll tell you a great uh, i'll end this with a great story and you'll laugh because it's one of the you know greatest one of, the, one of the coaches, uh, a couple of years ago, I went out to see Mike Hopkins uh, in Seattle. Yeah. And I went to, I go with my FM buddies every year to a football game. So before COVID hit really bad, we went out to watch uh, University of Washington uh, play against Oregon in football. Mm-hmm. And I got to go to some of Hop's practice. And at the time, they had in Kate Cunningham. Okay, so this is going to date me for his official visit. It was down between Washington and supposedly Oklahoma State. Yeah. And a lot of people, they brought in some big guns uh, for this recruiting weekend. And one of the guys who was there is one of the, you can Google this, one of the few coaches uh, that had ever won an NBA championship and an NCAA championship, Larry Brown, Kansas. And he did it with the Pistons, right? And after practice, I stayed around. And he was telling some funny stories to my, two of my high school buddies, Steve Putnam, Darren Fink, and everybody else that was out there on the trip with us, a couple New York City guys. And this is one of the funniest stories, Larry Brown. He's a personal guy. You know, he's in his 80s, and he's now coaching. He's at Memphis, right? He's coaching under Anthony Hardaway. Anthony Hardaway. <laughs> and he tells this story I'll never forget. He goes, you know, I'm in the NBA. And I was when I was coaching Philly, and I got Harvey, I got, I got Harvey Grant on my team. He's a great guy. But at times, I learned this later, that during timeouts, I almost had to pair up an assistant coach with every player to make sure they were getting my message across on what to do on out-of-bounds or late-game situations up where they're supposed to be. And he says, we're playing a team, and this team is renowned. It's We're, we're, we're up to. And I tell Harvey, who's guarding the ball, and I tell him, listen, you're going to guard the inbounder. And when he inbounds is it, you cannot leave him because you're going to they're sucking you into the ball, into the lane. And then when you turn to look, the guy who's taking the ball out-of-bounds is going to step in, and he's going to make a three. And he looked at him, and he said he kind of looked fogged a little bit. And the timeout horn rung, and he the team went out. He said, he said, Matt, it's my one regret that I didn't call another timeout. I had another one, kind of like Coach Payne may have had one more timeout week four. It's just to explain it to the team, it's exactly what we're doing because they just ran the same line play. Sure enough, game starts. Grant's guarding the ball. The ball goes in. It turns to the shooter. They flip it back to the guy stepping in bounds. The guy bangs a three at the buzzer to win the game. <laughs> Larry Brown slumped over. He's walking off the court. He goes up to Grant. He goes, did you not listen to what I just told you? He goes, my bad, coach. I got you next time. And he slapped him on the butt. He goes, that's when I learned with coaches, as a coach and players, you never know your guys. You 
got it's got to be detailed and you got to prepare for the system with every player make sure that you know what your role is doing in this and when you look at a lot of huddles across the country and kids are looking at the stands of their parents cheerleaders yeah no, you know the teams that do it bring them off the court you put them in stools and they have them in rows five in the players five behind and yeah. side all eyes got to be on the board uh times today with their kids you know attention to detail you, you lose a lot in the communication mm. that's that's we're all human yeah. you know and i guess we all consider our fans say why couldn't they get the ball in bounds <laughs> who knows what was said maybe another play was called maybe someone was confused for the previous time but getting it in the same way maybe they thought they were running at you know a, a, an audible off that play I, I don't know but this happens in college basketball it happens in football it happens in life you think that you know in that situation and such a to me since such a like every game is so important now for syracuse you know and, and you can't lose these games and it's like is that some sort of system you think Coach Beheim should implore? Like every one of his. Yeah, but, yeah you, maybe assistant takes a guy and regurgitate what you said to me. Like, I, I don't know that. You know, every team's different. But, yeah. Uh, who knows the breakdown? Your, your question's a million dollar question. Yeah. Was it the coaching staff? Was it the players? Or was it just a, a, just a, a great defensive play by Wake? Yeah. Uh, to knock it off his, his leg. I don't know, man. I just I feel like those, those are the times that, you know, when I'm watching Syracuse basketball, I've watched my whole life. This frustrates me when they kick the ball in or they don't score an easy basket off of an inbounds play. But, hey. There's um, always to lose, for sure. Yeah. So, where do you think – what do you think they have to do the rest of the season? This will be the uh, last thing and get you out of here. So just yeah. Uh, you know, they – I mean, you know, the common themes here in Syracuse, everyone's talking about them, is, you know, the, uh, the, the defense, you know, uh, struggles. Um you know, they've tried to change things up with, you know, it drives me crazy. The announcers say it's a one, three, one. It's not, they're just, you know, they've, sometimes they've played a, a four and one, uh, but they're, they're trying to do a tandem with the guards with Joe and buddy mm-hmm. to at least take away that middle. But at the end of the day, once the guards come out of that, you know, they've got Jesse covering the corners at times. If the forwards are up, that's the only kind of, it's still a two, three, but you know, you, you could call it maybe a four, one or a three, two at times. Um, but I think they've got to shore that up. You know, they're they're not the best uh, defense defending the three point line. I mean, that kind of started with the team against Colgate. Mm-hmm. Um, they they have problems rebounding. Uh, they've got to shore that up. And really, to me, the biggest thing where I've seen them struggle is is Jesse's foul trouble. You know, Jesse. You know, you see him all the time with his hands up, but it's kind of the roofing at times that gets him in trouble. And you know, the one he fouled out at uh, at Wake. You know, they put him in with nine minutes, and he's following a guy in a fast break. Let him get the layup. You're yeah. more, you're more valuable to our team to give up a two, mm-hmm. uh, to be in the middle of that zone, than to just you know give a guy an and one like that and be your fifth foul. You knew you had four. You got pulled out with 12 minutes to go in a quarter, and coaches trusting you to put you in with nine minutes. That's your, that's on you, Jesse. So um, to, to just at times let him go. So, um, so other what? than that. You know, uh, you know, I, I think they're going to have a lot of opportunities. Everyone talks about these quad one wins, and you know, you're going to play the Dukes of the world. You got a chance for Florida State at home. You know, you're going to play some good competition. You got to be in that top four or five teams in the ACC. Yeah. Um, that's going to be the key that I think to get to get a to get a to get a bid, to get an at large bid. What what a, like what specifically or what lineup do you think could energize the team or change it at points? You know that there's always talk. I mean. I talk about it on this podcast. I talked about it with my friends. People talk about it on the boards of why is this guy coming out so soon? Like Samir Torrance seems like he gets a quick hook, you know, and he's impactful. Not on offense, but controlling the game. Um, 
you know, Benny Williams has a quick hook. Um, you know, Anselm seems to have a, a quick hook. But when they when they're, I think they just played a little bit. Maybe they their impact would be different. They don't have to score. They just have to do certain things, right? What lineup do you think that could, you know, ignite the defense, ignite the rebounding? Could they play the two big guys at once? Could they play three big guys at once? Right. What do you, what do you yeah, think? I mean, that's 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 a possibility. I, I you know I don't. Um, I, I like this. You know, I think that, you know, you can look from again. I, I didn't watch the game, so I can't speak to it. But like with Georgetown, I guess the first half, Benny came in, Torrance came in, um, and yeah. gave good minutes off the bench. So that's uh, them, yeah. Your team gets tired in the second half, right? Because they're logging a lot of minutes, and you make some fatigue mistakes, maybe at wake. So I think that you know, coaches always played seven guys, eight guys. Get those guys more time in the second half. Uh, Benny's a freshman; he struggled with his shot. He's more athletic than Cole and Jimmy, right? So you can find the minutes. But I do like this lineup. You know, teams today, if you're a really good big, you, you're going to get your one and done, right? Um, if, you're, if you're an NBA pick. So a lot of these teams don't have, you know, a huge, unbelievable big. You know, Indiana had one with the Davis kid. Um, but he's a, he's a, he's a, he's an outlier. Um, I think you can go with a smaller lineup. I like Torrance at point guard. Um, I don't think he's going to be scoring. He makes a couple mistakes. He does get the hook. Let uh, Joe play off the ball, and the real key is can Buddy get physical down on the back line and rebound? But they're not playing against teams. Most teams have one or two high flyers back there. So put 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 Cole or Jimmy, whoever's in that four position, or if you're playing the two centers, put them on the side where the power forward and the center are. Match them up. Yeah. So Buddy's really probably boxing out a, a small forward or shooting guard. Most of these teams today, I don't know if you watch it, but. It's the Golden State effect. They play undersized. They play two, yeah. three, four guards and a big. Yeah, they're, right. They're not really, you know, not traditional stuff. You yeah, know, it's just whatever. I mean, kids but are non, kids are positionless today. My so thing, many guys. Where you're on a five, and yeah. you're going to sit down low, and you know you're the next Akeem Olajuwon. Most teams fives <laughs> face the basket, stretch four, stretch fives. Right. Um, you know, if you're six eight, six nine, six ten, so be it. That's better. But um, most teams I see AAU in college today. I mean, look. You know, Colgate came in here and beat us, and they had two kids play in the middle of the zone that were 6'10". The rest of them, I mean, the kid Ferguson's like uh, 6'1", 155 pounds soaking wet. You know, they played him with three guards, four guards and a big. Yeah. They kept the I shooters mean... on the perimeter, keep the one guy in the middle that can make plays and pass, and, you know, Colgate Center couldn't even make a jump shot there. You know, if you get an added bonus uh, of guys that can make <laughs> jump shots, you know, uh, you know Virginia had one. It's, it's an added bonus. Yeah, I mean, he that guy picked him apart anyways, though, because he knew, yeah. right, like we're talking about KYP, he, he knows he's not shooter, right? But so, right. But Syracuse should know back that, too. Down. And he's just, he'd back it down, and then he would find the guy, and then they make another pass, and then they'd score. Or then, like, towards the end of the game, where they finally moved off him, he's like, okay, I'll take two dribbles yeah. and shoot a five-footer. And it's, it's to me, I, I just, as you said, Samir Torrance, or Samir Torrance, I, I would rather him start than Jimmy or Swider and bring one of those guys off the bench just because I think they're too similar. I don't, I know you kind of just touched on that, but would you like, I don't think the lineup's changing. I mean, we're 18, 16 games in. I don't think he's going to ever change the lineup yeah, as a starting. Uh, you know, you know I, I'm, I'm not trying to be funny. I don't think, I don't think coaches put anything in the sums up. You just don't think that's a guy on the bench is probably going to be cold, right? I think that's where you go with it. Maybe make him a, a six-man you're shorter. But I don't think you have to change the starting lineup. Go with your starter, see how cold starts out hot or not. You know, if he's one of those games where he's got, you know, he's one for four, one for five, it's time to trip somebody else and get, you know, go to the smaller lineup. You know, Buddy can score. You know, Jimmy can score. Yeah. I mean, they've been doing it consistently. They're one and two in scoring. 
Uh, Jesse can score, and, and you know the you know Joe's been that tertiary. Joe was our second leading scorer until about four games ago, right? Yeah. He's averaging like 14, 15 because he was shooting threes at such a high clip, you know, low shot volume. So, you know, I bring in uh, Torrance and maybe go smaller and see what Buddy can do down there. Yeah, even for a few minutes, just to you know, like I said, yeah. ignite the team a little bit, just change it. You know, it's just and that's but, that's that's but the biggest. You, the knock guys. Sorry, go ahead. Get Joe off the ball too, right? You get Joe shooting yeah. threes and not have to bring it up. That's just kind of the you know if you as you said all the brutal message boards. That's the overlying thing I see all the time. It's like why don't they why that some of the guys and then they're changing the lineup and that's that's something that we've always you know as, as fans always ask why why is this guy not playing you, you know <laughs> funny Matt uh, before I let you go you talked about Tony Scott and um, I'm gonna say that my broadcasting career started way back then because. I remember if you remember remember WSYR and Doug Logan and those guys, those radio shows that were just, that's what you did in Syracuse, man. You you listen to the radio shows. There's no TV like back then. This is the 80s, right, 90s. You listen to the pregame show. You listen to the Collins shows. Like, that was it. You know, there's not all this other stuff. And um, I think I was, it's probably like 10, 11, or 12, something like that. And I called, I called Beheim and I talked to him on the phone, and I asked him about, you know, <laughs> I asked him about Tony Scott because Hopkins was the other guy who was on the bench. My father was big on Hopkins. He's like, I don't know why this guy Hopkins doesn't play. I see him. He looks energetic, and Tony Scott really can't. So I asked Coach Behan that. I asked him, like, why don't? Why is Tony Scott playing as much? Why not Hopkins? Oh, he said he's bigger, and he's that, and he's this. I'm like, but what about Mike Hopkins? You know, and he's like, ah, oh, Mike's not ready yet. You know, I've heard that. So I've heard that quote from from the '80s to the this guy's not ready. But then they they come in somehow and they're ready, right? So what was that moment for you where he was like, okay, you're ready? You said before. Early, this, this has been a very long. We've been talking for a long time, but you no, said in that it's, last. It's a great, it's a great question. Um, I, like I said, my sophomore year, I was lighting up in the orange-white scrimmages, and then um, I remember we came back from the the, the tip-off classic in um, Springfield, Mass, and we it was weird then because that game they wanted one versus two, and it was a tip-off of the season, and then we came back. Instead of doing an exhibition game, we did an orange-white scrimmage in our squad with our team. And uh, there's probably 20, 22,000 in it. I mean, this one crowds were crazy just to watch an orange-white scrimmage. And I never forget, I was kind of joking around at the end of the game and um, uh, with, with my roommate, Earl, because I wasn't on his team, and uh, Stevie was on the other team too. So at the end of the game, I was kind of joking around with him at half court. And, and I'll never forget, Beheim called me and said, after the game, and he said, you know, why why are you joking around uh, with guys that are trying to, t- 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 you're competing with minutes with, you think it's funny? I mean, this is business out here. And that kind of hit me, like, you know what, you're right. Uh, <laughs> and then um, the, the the we went up to, after that scrimmage, we did another exhibition game, and then we did um, the Alaskan shootout. And then when we came home from that, from Alaska, he pulled me in, and I, and I bruised my thigh up in Alaska in the last game uh, against Arizona. And I was getting, um, I was getting treatment, and I didn't know if I could go the next game. It was on, like we were home on a Tuesday, let's say, and the game was uh, Thursday. And he pulled me into his office, uh, and I didn't believe me. I'm telling you, a couple of conversations with him. I didn't go in his, no, we didn't go in his office a ton. You know, he dealt a lot with the assistants, and so I knew it was a serious matter. And he brought me in and said, "Listen, um, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to start you Thursday, and uh, the only advice I can give you is don't be nervous." And he goes, "You're ready for this?" And I said, "Okay." And it was not a big deal to me because I had been 
playing well in practice. And besides me joking around that air squad scrimmage, you know, I, didn't, I don't know if I scored a lot in that orange-white thing, but other orange-white scrimmages, I was getting, you know, 20, 25 points. So I knew I could do it. Uh, but it was just his way of saying, you know, I got confidence in you, but don't be nervous. You're going to start. That's awesome. Well, that was really, you know, the last conversation I had ever had with him about, you know, just being good enough to be there. And he knew it. I knew it. The results, you know, showed it. That's awesome. Awesome. Great stuff, Matt. I mean, from start to finish, you know, this went a lot, a lot longer than I thought. We might have to break this up oh, a couple man. sessions and, you know, um, you know, you're welcome to come back on the Dome Dog podcast at any point, anytime. Anytime, Matt. Anytime you want me. I love this format. Yeah. Uh, I love watching podcasts. Uh, this is great stuff. Great question. Sorry if I talked too long. You brought me down memory lane. Um, I, you know, I, I, I joke with my kids all the time. You know, I don't, uh, I don't have Alzheimer's yet. I have some timers. But uh, my memory is pretty good today, Matt. Yeah. I, I came up with good names and uh, situations, but those things stay ingrained yeah. um, in your brain. You know, those are you know, those are my formative years and uh, great times. Yeah, at both Syracuse and Maryland, and uh, everything I, I do today. Uh, you know, being a, being a State Farm agent is because the fact of my connections uh, with basketball. Uh, everything I've gotten in life has been through that crazy ball, and I I haven't played. In, 10, 15 years, I work out more with my kids and trying to get them to achieve their goals and dreams. But this this game has brought a lot of um, a lot of great things in my life. So, where can people connect with you, like on social or on on any type of thing? Do you do you are you on social media actively, or are you? Yeah, I, you know, my State Farm they're big with us being, um, you know, on LinkedIn uh, we connected, mm-hmm. um, Facebook. Uh, I have an agents page, my office. I have my own personal page. Uh, I really haven't figured it out. Um, my kids laugh at me like I'm not on any of that snap stuff. I don't yeah. even know what that is, but I don't. I'm not on Twitter. Uh, yeah. A lot of people laugh at me. I, I think that would buzz my uh, ACD, uh, AD, you know, OCD, ADD. Yeah. Uh, I just, you know, I'm kind of basic with that stuff. Uh, but um, you know, we we try as agents and communities to uh, be a presence in social media. Um, and, um, you know, a lot of the stuff we do is through hearsay. It's all approved through the company. Um, but, you know, it's fun stuff. You know, we have fun with it. Um, you know, just try to, you know, be active and um, share photos and uh, just just get good reviews from people. And we try to, you know, give great customer service here at my office. And um, that's all we can do. It's great, man. Thanks for joining the podcast. Really awesome. Um, as I said, open invitation anytime that you want to come on if there's something that, you, that's burning that you want to talk about or you you heard something i said that you're like hey what what are you talking about there yeah. you know this is say this is great your, great say stuff your family for me too, please. i will for sure so that was matt rowe former syracuse player i hope you enjoyed that podcast as much as i did because matt just dropped so much knowledge on me that i had no idea the circles he ran in the people he played against people that he knew from A to Z, it's great stuff. I just want to make one correction. I had said a few times in the pod today that Matt Rowe was one of four guys to play Division One out of Faithful Manlius High School. It appears there were a few more guys that maybe played in the 70s that weren't listed by the school. So let's just say Matt's one of six, one of seven. Whatever the case, he's very rare. But there's no doubt about it to me or to anybody else that he's the most decorated player out of Faithful Manlius High School. So Syracuse plays Florida State tomorrow. That's Saturday, 3 p.m. on ESPN, Cuse.com for radio. As always, I'll be on the Facebook page 
chatting up during the game, having my comments, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But if you enjoy this episode, please share it with friends, family, whoever. Anyone who's a basketball fan will appreciate this episode. Thanks for listening to the Dome Dog Podcast. Now available on Spotify, Audible, Google Podcasts, and Podbean. Please join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Dome Dog Pod. That's D-O-M-E-D-A-W-G-P-O-D.